0: Welcome to Season 3 of the Jesus Said Love Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills.
1: And I'm your other host, Brett Mills.
0: We are founders, we're creatives,
1: we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists.
0: We're musicians, and we love Jesus.
1: We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about.
0: Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together. To create more space for love. Hello. I'm here. (laughs) Me too. It's been
1: so long since we've done this.
0: I know. I was on sabbatical from May until now. So, this is my first time jumping back into the podcast scene.
1: I know we've had people going, are y'all going to drop some new episodes? (laughs) We're having to listen to the old stuff. I mean, where are y'all sleeping? You're on a beach. What are you doing? How are, how are you feeling coming off of time off?
0: Well, I just made a post about that on my personal page. So for those of you who care, you can go listen to some or read some of the things that I've learned during sabbatical. And one of the things is that because of the personal tragedies that we have been through in the past seven months, um, my body really shut down and it said, Nope. And um, I'm learning a lot about how to re-enter this work, and working with um, my doctor and my therapist to figure out really how to, to to sustain the work that we're doing, and letting go a good, healthy dose of letting go of what yeah. I cannot handle anymore.
1: We had to send so our big girl off fun. to college. Yeah. <laughs>
0: We sent our girl off to college, we had a house fire, we um, are back in our home, which has been wonderful, we've grieved the deaths of Pops and Kathleen and Angela and Alexis and your Aunt Sally, and um, I had a car wreck, I was T-boned, and I've got four herniated discs, so um, yeah, I mean... Just an average day around our house. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then we're in a
0: pandemic. So it's crazy. And we're in a
1: pandemic. Yeah. Crazy. Well, it's good to be back. It's good to see your face.
0: Thank you. We're in two
1: different places. I'll see you tonight.
0: (laughs) I'm so excited for this episode today. And I'm excited that this is my first one back because I've really been wanting to have this guest on for a while. And we will go ahead and give a fair trigger warning for survivors of exploitation, trafficking, and sexual abuse. Um, we are going to cover some pretty heavy content today regarding uh, porn and regarding uh, non-consensual sex and exploitation and human trafficking. And we have an expert on the podcast today who has done incredible work. Um, we've got Layla McElwaite. Did I say that right?
2: Almost. Uh, ah! It's, <laughs> it's it. okay. No problem. Uh, it's Lila Lila. Yeah, it's, didn't but I know it doesn't that? look like that when you see it written down. So, I mean, I would say maybe like seventy percent of everybody who tries to say it says it just like you did.
1: So, well, I no could, you your, could you fix your name, please, so that we can
0: <laughs> stop? Yes. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> let me just let me just tell you a little bit about what Lila does in this world, and then we are gonna just dig in and learn and this conversation is so timely and it's so important Um, she is the founder and ceo of the justice defense fund and she's the founder you may have heard of the movement called trafficking hub Um, we've been posting about it at jesus said love i've been posting about it on my personal page brett has as well but this is a movement that's really bipartisan. It's it's not, you know, a faith-based movement, um, kind of been promoted by Exodus Cry. So if you follow Exodus Cry, you've been hearing about it. But is the founder of that and the Justice Defense Fund, and we're going to learn more about why it's been so important to her to expose, really what her work has done, is it has exposed this huge problem in the porn industry um, for survivors... And of um, non-consensual sex, basically all the uploads, so that have been circulating, and all of these victims who have been trafficked through this. Um, so her work has been in Canada. Like she's been ta- Canada has now like taken it down. It's turning now toward the U.S. So welcome to the show. So excited to have you. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and for the work that you do.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to have this opportunity to share with your audience and with you and um, you know, also thank you for the work that you all do. I heard a little bit about that too and um, yeah, excited to be here and and to have this conversation.
0: Mm. Well, okay, so let's start with how did you get into the kind of work in the anti-trafficking space because that's kind of what led you, Um, now into the work that you're doing so let's just kind of start there how did you get into this
2: well you know I don't have a a very uh, you know kind of dramatic necessarily story about how this happened but you know it's it's I look back to my upbringing Um, my father was somebody that always instilled um, values in us girls, because I have um, sisters too, mm-hmm. uh, for human rights issues. He was uh, always on the History Channel and the news, and he grew up in the Middle East and in in the midst of war before he came to the United States. And um, I think that just you know kind of produced in, in him a, a sensitivity to suffering and to human rights issues that he then passed on to us. And um, I went in a lot of different directions when I was younger and kind of searching for what I wanted to do with my life and um, ended up coming back around to this kind of after Mm -hmm. experimenting here and there with things that I thought that would be fulfilling and things that I thought that I wanted to do I came back around to really feeling like I wanted to do something with my life that I could look back on that and say that it actually helped others and Mm -hmm. you know was worthwhile and I could be proud of and um and I started to look into a lot of different kinds of human rights issues so from poverty to war crimes to um all you know different kinds of trafficking actually I uh you know started to learn about that and mm-hmm. uh, but it was when i read this book called disposable people i also mm-hmm. saw a documentary i don't even remember it was on a news station um and and this was you know earlier in my college days when i was trying to kind of figure out my major and things like that and i i learned about sex trafficking for the first time and it was just you know it just really broke my heart and Mm -hmm. just impacted me in a way that even these other really horrific things um, that I've been learning about, you know, it was just on another level. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like this is something I really want to continue to uh, learn more about and see what can be done to help. And Mm -hmm. so that just kind of put me on that trajectory. And so I just kept focusing in that direction and through my studies and through internships and then later through different positions and then ended up, um, yeah, doing that full time. So, mm-hmm. and I really, uh, ended up doing a, a lot with legislation. So focused okay. on the right. you know, policies of yes. how we can, um, help prevent this through d- reducing demand and those things. And then mm-hmm. eventually learned about the way that pornography, the big porn industry intersected with all of this kind of abuse and that's what led me to learn about Pornhub and now yeah. here we are.
0: <laughs> so I think a lot of us in this line of work has have always kind of, you know, had this intuition if you will that um m- you know, porn is such a huge industry and I think for some of us whether or not we you know support certain types of porn or we say, you know, porn, all porn is exploitive and bad, um, there's kind of been this cultural wrestling with it because it is a, quote, legal form of work. So kind of in the same way that we were working with survivors who were working in legal, you know, um, sex establishments um, and in strip clubs or in escort services, and so when we started doing our work, it it was like this wasn't an illegitimate um, form of work in a sense. It was legalized, and while there was cultural shame and stigma around it, they weren't doing anything illegal, and so that was often kind of the pushback. It wasn't until years later that what we saw was an undercurrent um, in many times of women being abused or trafficked, so was did the realization for you about pornography and what was happening on Pornhub was that kind of a gut level intuition first or how did you kind of crack that that these were trafficking these were victims of trafficking coming through this site
2: yeah well um a number of years ago i started to really notice that You know, a lot of these cases of sex trafficking that were happening offline, there was often this element of online um, exploitation that was accompanying uh, the, the offline exploitation, and especially now that, you know, we live in a digital age, and so mm-hmm. it's just kind of naturally progressed to yes. encompass online mm-hmm. and offline exploitation in many of these cases. And so that was drawing my attention to the issue of pornography and trying to investigate and research the intersection between what I called a big porn industry, mm-hmm. um, because it is, uh, you know, there's big tech, there's also big porn, uh, very profitable global industry, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so seeing the way that these things are intersecting, and, you know, anybody that ends up researching this issue would end up on Pornhub, because Pornhub as of december was the world's largest and most popular porn site so it was kind of the world's name brand for porn and they have done a you know really intentional job of trying to mainstream themselves with billboards in times square and walking new york fashion week and people are wearing their apparel and repping the brand and people are joking about it on late night tv and it just became yeah. part of our culture um, and so it is the most popular porn site so You know, when you're looking into porn, you're going to go there. And what I found when I was investigating all of this is these are user-generated porn sites. So, these are not, this is not pornography that you make in a studio where you have actual regulations, like you're saying, in this legal industry that is protected by various laws. There's various regulations that are put in place for age verification and record keeping and consent verification, those things when it's being produced <clears throat> in that in that um, uh, arena, and no, I, I don't wanna say, I don't want people to un- think that it's all legal because right, there's a right. lot of exploitation that happens and a lot of criminal exploitation that happens in even the studio industry. Mm-hmm. But This is a whole other thing. This is mm-hmm. people with an iPhone in a hotel room or in the back of a car or in a park, like literally anybody around the world can videotape a hardcore sex accent and upload it to Pornhub, and then Pornhub would monetize that content mm. and distribute it globally. And people assumed, because it was such a well-known name, that there was some kind of vetting process for these videos, that it was this global assumption on a massive scale. And I just began to question this, because I looked at these videos, and these look like children. They're underdeveloped, they're, they have pigtails, they talk like children. They look underage. And then you see women who are actually you know, crying and protesting and it appears that they're being raped. And everybody's assuming that they're just, quote unquote, role playing these things. And so I said, well, one night, I just said, I'm going to test the upload process for myself and see what is, this, what is going on. And I did that, and I found out what millions of people already knew, and that is that there was no verification of age, you didn't have to upload an ID, you didn't have to prove that you were over 18, there was no consent verification. All you needed was an email address, that's it. And it would get uploaded with a download button so people could then redistribute it over and over again. And then it was, I started to connect the dots and, and realize this site is infested with videos of real sexual crime. And then I just started to kind of sound the alarm on that. And that's how this all started.
0: (laughs) When you sounded the alarm, it was like everything that you knew might be true about the porn industry, like your worst nightmares. It was like, that's not a nightmare. That this is real. This is the reality of this site. And I think that you know what's confusing I think for a lot of us is what is the reward not for the user, what's the reward of the person who uploads this? Do they get paid or is or does Pornhub get paid?
2: Sometimes they get paid, but in many cases, and I would think in maybe most cases on the site, they weren't getting paid. They were uploading it um, and the monetization of that, the money that was being made from these videos was going to Pornhub and its parent company, MindGeek. And MindGeek, many people hadn't heard that name.
0: Exactly. Because
2: they had been hiding and uh, kind of disguising their true nature. If you went to the MindGeek website, it looks like this tech company, and they just say like we're SEO, search engine optimization tech company. But they have a monopoly on the global porn industry. They own most of the most popular porn sites and brands in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they're the ones that were making the money off of all of the traffic. 47 billion visits to this site in 2020. That's 130 million visits per day. And, um, and they had enough content uploaded uh, in their last report, which is 2019, In one year, just videos that if you put them back to back, it would take you 169 years to watch the content that is uploaded to that one site per year. So they're making an enormous amount of money from monetization of user data for everybody who visits the site, from premium subscriptions, from sometimes a direct sale of videos, and advertising mostly. Mm. And so they, I've called them the mega trafficker because they were knowingly using illegal content including you know child mm. abuse and rape and trafficking and even things like non-consensually recorded porn like right. spy, spy cams where they would actually right. implant and it was so obvious in the videos that this is real, they would implant videos in changing rooms in you know malls where women are changing, it, like la- lingerie shops or, or bathing suit shops, um, or in toilets. So like one of the videos that was particularly horrifying was a in a prom bathroom, and they actually had put the camera in the toilet and were recording the you know private areas of these girls, and then they were like just on the site for a long time with lots of views lots of ads so this was yeah this is like a massive exploitation operation that was disguised as legitimate mainstream legal porn so
1: do you okay go ahead yeah I, I've got to ask this do you remember your first sound the alarm moment Do you remember what you did
2: yeah, I think I, it was, I went on my Twitter. <laughs> I was, I had started to really get into messaging on Twitter about a, a year before this all kind of came to be, and so that was kind of my main outlet for messaging at the time, and still is, actually, so you can follow me at Lila Mickaway on Twitter, um, but yeah, I, I, it was, I think, you know, it was late at night when I did this experiment and I started to put the dots together because there was recently a case in the news mm-hmm. of a 15-year-old from Florida mm-hmm. who was missing for a year and her mom was tipped off that somebody had seen her daughter on Pornhub mm. and she was found in 58 videos being sold wow. on the site. And they matched her traffickers face with the videos from and with surveillance from a 7-Eleven. So I was remembering that story. I was remembering there was this big girls do porn trafficking operation. There was, you know, a few others in the news of a young girl, 14, from Palo Alto, California, Mm. who was raped by an adult. That video was put on Pornhub. And a classmate of hers who was browsing Pornhub, Mm. (laughs) you know, at this age, a 14-year-old, found her and reported that she was in that video. Um, And so it was that night, that moment. And I, and that was my like, oh my God. My dad used to always quote this. He would always say this quote, assumption is the mother of all screw ups. Like he he always (laughs) would say that. And I go like that, this was the assumption that people were making that these videos were vetted. This was a huge screw-up because the site was full of crime. And so I just started to message about that. And then I said, okay, how else can I get this out? And I decided to write an op-ed about Mm -hmm. this that got published. And then that's kind of when things really um, went public.
0: So as you kind of went down the rabbit hole of discovering, like, what is Pornhub? Who are the CEOs of Pornhub? Oh, it's owned by MindGeek. Who are the CEOs of MindGeek? And you found out that these CEOs were very well protected.
2: Oh, yeah. They were hidden. So I mean, nobody they even knew hidden. the real owner of Pornhub until December.
0: So how did you find that out? Well... How, how did you find out who, yeah, who that I mean, was? Did you work with law enforcement? Yeah. Did you work with... There
2: was whistleblowers from inside okay. the company that were... So what was going on was as the petition that I ended up starting was going viral... Uh, which, you know, I didn't even actually plan to start that petition. It was after I wrote the op-ed and then people read the op-ed and they were horrified and they're like, I wanna do something, mm-hmm. start a petition. Yeah. And so I just um it kind of impulsively copied and pasted my op-ed into the petition and start going viral. But as and then news started to cover it. Uh-huh. And so as it started to get more public attention, I was getting survivors who were coming to me yeah. on a regular basis, like DMs were filling up, you know, with were saying I've been uh, exploited on this site too, and and sharing their stories, and and then also kind of do gooder citizens that mm-hmm. were browsing Pornhub right around the world, from India to you know Asian countries to South America to Canada. And anytime people were finding clearly illegal content, they were then messaging me about it and saying, oh my God, so in the middle of the night, somebody's sending you this horrific rape video that they're finding Mm on Pornhub, um, but also whistleblowers. So those Mm -hmm. who are inside the company were also hearing about this and then they started to reach out to me too. And so little by little, different pieces of the puzzle started to come together. So not only company employees, but also moderators that were employed by them were reaching out to me too. And so that's how I started to just get a lot of different pieces of information um, Mm -hmm. that started to kind of build the case against the company.
0: Do you kind of feel a little bit like Aaron Brockovich?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny because some people I've heard that a few times. They're like, "This seems like that." It, um, you know, I don't know. I I remember watching that movie a long yeah. time ago, so I don't even really remember
0: all the. You should go back and watch it. It's a really that. good one. We but, have a survivor on staff, and we call her our resident Aaron Bro- Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> um, she's so cool, but it's it's a real. I I just wonder as you're doing this work if it became. I know that when when we're kind of led and we kind of feel this, like, oh, this injustice that, you know, and a wrong that, that we're willing to write and that we also feel compelled to write. um, There can be a little, little bit of an obsession. And I think it's sometimes necessary in the beginning, right? Especially to, to find out and to dig. Was there a moment that you, that you were like, I'm going to go down, now yeah. we can't go back like
2: that happened pretty early on it did i saw that this was going viral i was seeing the evidence was flooding in and survivors are coming forward and people from inside the company and attorneys are getting involved in law enforcement and politicians and and it's like um i just knew that I needed to pursue this until the end, until I mm-hmm. felt like there was a resolution and push it as far as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, be- I, I, and I think I still am. I think I did get some, you know, a sort of obsession with it because yeah. it became very all consuming. It was kind of like a 24 yes. seven swirl of what was going on all the time from reporters constantly contacting me to you know victims and 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 those who were you know finding the videos and like it's just there was just so much going on and there still is it's not as intense as it was in 2020 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um yeah I mean I did I said this I felt like there it was a I know there's some moments in in your in life when you know all of my kind of background and history and all the struggles and all the things that I've gone through, I feel like they've led up to this moment. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. this is a, a really serious, um, responsibility that yeah. I need to take to the end yeah, as far as I can. And then I look at
0: the, yeah. and I look at the timing of this too in 2020 and I know that man, was it so perfect for a movement like this to gain momentum, because everyone was on their phones.
2: Yeah, it was everyone. so strange because at first I was like, "This is so." Because it was right when the all the pandemic stuff was really, uh, you know, heating up, and and people were freaking out, and you couldn't find yeah. toilet paper and right. lockdowns and all this stuff. And I'm like, "Is this? What is going on? Why is this happening now?" <laughs> And I felt like at first I thought this is just the worst timing in the world Mm. because I couldn't, I knew I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. I wouldn't be able to, but then it ended up being, like you said, I mean, I think for something that really took, took a, 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 took on the viral nature online Mm -hmm. that it seemed to actually help because people were at home and they were online and they had time to think about other things and pay pay attention. And yeah, I think it did help.
0: Yeah, and there was also a lot of conspiracy theories, a lot of rumors that ended up surfacing in 2020 about the trafficking of children. And so I yeah. think that I think that your work kind of exposed, um, like no one's doing this through Wayfair. They're actually <laughs> have been doing it through Pornhub. Yeah. And here's the real meat and marrow of what's been happening. You know, yeah. yours was kind of a voice of like real truth as opposed to... The conspiracy theories that everybody was getting whipped up in, but no doubt, even that was used to drive people to want to know more. You know, yeah, yeah I you think know?
2: so too. It's like people were kind of a lot of people were awakened to. There was like this sense of people were just becoming more aware of the issue of child trafficking and whether yeah. you know, unfortunately, a lot of what you, that was going around was not true in right. conspiracy theories. Right but they they did a lot of people did care and then they were able to find the real <laughs> situation that was actually happening that actually was evidence based and even more horrifying than yeah. what you would you know think of right. some of these other conspiracy theories but yeah i think that was all true it was the timing it was it was the moment to let this thing mm. get out and let the truth fly like that's yeah. you know for me since the beginning, it's all, it's been really about tell people the truth, show them the reality of what's going on, break the lie of, you know, the fantasy that, you know, this is, this is all just mainstream legal content when it's not.
0: Yes. So as, as you realize, um, that, mind geek. And I just want to go back to some of those logistics with who's running this company and who's getting paid. Um, the, then Canada decided to, to put this on trial, correct?
2: Yeah. So here I'll give you a timeline yeah, so you can me understand this, what happened. Yeah. So February, 2020 wrote the op-ed, started the petition. Petition was going viral tons of media coverage. We had like hundreds of articles covering this throughout 2020, and then things really blew up with the New York Times piece that happened in December. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, we had been doing campaigns to call on the credit card companies to stop doing business with Pornhub because of this, but we were met with resistance. Um, And then it was getting lots of media traction, and and then the New York Times hit. And that blew up, and that went, there was, uh, thousands of follow-on articles from that, mm. and the pressure was on, and it forced uh, J- Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, to respond mm. because this company is based in Canada, okay. and they had members of parliament speaking about it and speaking about the New York Times piece um, you know, every day for uh, a week or two, mm. and they decided to launch a parliamentary investigation into the company in Canada, which they did. And are they
0: calling you for like consult. Yeah, and I testified, which okay, was yeah. crazy
2: because I was <laughs> the CEO and the COO of MindGeek wrote a personal signed letter to parliament trying to get them to not allow me to testify. I was the only one of the whole inquiry that they did this to sure and the member of parliament Shoot. that got the letter they like held it up and they were kind of mocking them they were like this is the yeah. first time in my history of being in parliament that i've ever seen somebody who's under investigation send a letter trying to de-platform and to discredit a witness like they yeah. thought it was absolutely absurd but that happened um but mm. what happened too after the new york times piece is visa mastercard and discover all cut ties with pornhub so they mm. lost their payment processing. They can only take cryptocurrency right now. Wow. And they deleted 80% of their site. 10 mm. million videos in 24 mm. hours. They deleted they that were gone.
0: In 24 hours.
2: Yes. Because they couldn't verify that was the amount of content on their site that was unverified, potentially criminal content.
0: So I just want to I just want to state the obvious right here. If in 24 hours they can delete eighty percent of unverified. That means they knew they weren't verified.
2: Yes. They knew to, they weren't to, verified. To be
0: able to in twenty four hours. They knew exactly
2: remember- what videos were suspect content. Yeah. And they took they took them. They took them off the site because they were so shaken up by what was happening with the credit card company. But that
0: shows culpability, even, oh, in, yeah, their, that was a even huge in their even in their that's yeah. an admission of guilt. I call it right?
2: their their big admission of knowledge that this was uh, so much of it was illegal content. Right. Um and so, you know, from a consumer perspective, just think about that all the people that were going to Pornhub thinking that they're watching legal and consensual verified vetted content when in reality 80% of it was not. Um and so, yeah, do that was a huge people, moment.
0: Do you think people I don't know, that gets into suspect, but do you think people really watch a video like that where and you that looks like a home iPhone where a girl is screaming because Somebody's raping her anally, a teenager. Do you think they really think that's verified content?
2: Well, there were under, there was a huge, I think many people did, because there was this idea out there that this is all vetted content. It might look like a rape, but it's just fantasy, it's just role play. Uh, You know, before it was exposed that all it took was an email address to upload content to the site. That was the delusion that people believed, and that 's why I think that nobody really sounded the alarm before that because they've been operating like this for over a decade uh,
0: but you don't think we're just so as consumers so desensitized and so we have such an appetite for debased sexual sexual that because even even a what looks like a child in a video. I mean, some of them, there's no way they could be older than 15.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: mean, the the problem
2: was that it was mixed together with studio-produced content where they intentionally make an 18-year-old look like she's Mm -hmm. 13. And there's a whole huge market and genre of that was like the barely legal teen porn And that's why people thought, because they actually do intentionally take 18-year-olds and make them look like children. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's a whole debate to be had and conversation about why, even if it was legal, why are you getting pleasure from thinking that you're watching a child?
0: Yeah, I know. Um, know. Well,
1: (laughs) to to that point, though, I would add, I think Pornhub's... I'll just say it, trafficking of these issues. They're trafficking these ideas not in addition to people. But it, it's because they've normalized it, right? You know, you see Kanye say he checks in to see what's happening on Pornhub. And, you know, we laugh about it because it was on Fallon. And like, you know, like you said, their brands are all over Fashion Week and things like that. So it's become so normalized that nobody bristles when you look at Pornhub's 104-page stat sheet they produce every year. And rape porn is one of the top 10 searched topics. in uh, and teen. Teen was one of their top yeah. search
2: terms for a long time.
1: Yeah. And so we go, mm-hmm. we, you know, I just, I think they've, they've done a real good job desensitizing most people. Even people who don't go there. When yeah. it,
2: they, It's done under the illusion. People felt like they had permission because it was done under the illusion that this is Vetted, you know, it, yeah. the, the term that I always would hear is, um, you know, consent agent, you know, they, they're of age and it's consensual. So mm-hmm. whether it's X, Y, and Z, you know, you can have your own issue with that, but it's legal and consensual. Mm-hmm. And when that lie was broken and when people realized. um, Yeah, jokes rate, on. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And jokes on the consumer right now. I mean, jokes yeah. on MindGeek. But jokes on the consumer, like they played me. Well, like they, for some yeah, there's a consumer
2: fraud issue here. There is that a consumer I fraud. I think needs to be brought also right. to the surface. I even was contacted by somebody who, uh, you know, and I, I'm looking into this and in, in contacting them, getting investigators to confirm all this. But that it was in prison, mm. had been arrested for downloading child exploitation content from Pornhub. And they, you know, and so it, it is actually a, a federal crime. It's a mm-hmm. felony offense to possess, to mm-hmm. distribute, download. Um, and so, so many people were under that illusion that this looks, this is, looks like a teen, but it's on Pornhub. And they were on, you know, Saturday Night Live and they were walking wow. New York Fashion Week. So this has got to be legal. Wow. And it That'd wasn't.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um you because you're going against um money and money is power and um many people I think have tried before maybe not this skilled and like with a scalpel kind of like you have like doing this you know surgery on this case I mean it really feels like you kind of got in there with with a scalpel but I think that even survivors who've tried to tackle the porn industry who've come out of the porn industry and really gone against some of the porn makers and some and and have felt so defeated and have even mentally, I mean, broken down. Like I I know I know some survivors who aren't alive anymore because of they they felt they wanted to fight and then it, it took them out. Right? It it's so um, it feels like the the forces of of evil that are kind of going up against you and it's it can be kind of crazy making um, to go up against a giant like this when when you're getting a lot of pushback. So I'm just curious for you because this work is so hard and all consuming. How do you deal with fear of backlash? How do you deal with, I mean, what's the cost of this on your life?
2: Yeah, it is, been crazy making is the good word for it. It's intense. There's so much uh, resistance and mm-hmm. pushback from people with a lot of money and a lot of power. Uh, this is a, a big porn industry with a very bad actor
0: mm-hmm. who is
2: running most of it behind MindGeek. There was a lawsuit filed in June on behalf of 34 women after a year investigation, the attorneys um, call this a criminal enterprise. In the and, U.S. or is
0: this still in Canada? No, uh, the, it was in- filed
2: in California. The okay, okay, that's right. Okay, and they call MindGeek a criminal enterprise engaged mm-hmm. in racketeering and financial crime. Uh, basically, you know, compared it to the mafia, mm-hmm. and with very legitimate and substantiated, you know. Uh, evidence for that, including very, you know, high-level whistleblowers within the company Mm -hmm. who revealed this. So this is not like you're going and trying to raise awareness and sound the alarm on a company that, like Apple, like a normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) company, Mm -hmm. or, yeah, I don't know if that's the best analogy, but they're, you know, alleged criminals behind. Yeah,
0: you're not going against a company that has yeah. high ethical diversity and inclusion training every year and who is has standards for work-based related behaviors. You're going up against um very sophisticated. It's it's almost like gang mentality taken toward a tech company and internet, you know, sophistication. Yeah, I mean
2: it's not even a tech company. It's yeah. a por- it's a porn company and they're just You know, they've gotten a real good handle on SEO, search Mm -hmm. engine optimization, and how to, you know, take advantage of distribution on the internet. But yeah, this, and so uh, there is, there, it's been really intense. I mean, my Mm -hmm. family has been targeted. I've been targeted. There's been smear campaigns and, you know, just crazy slander. Mm -hmm. that's gone on and you know it's just been trolls and stalkers and
0: did you know that would come when you had your moment of like I'm about to go on Twitter (laughs) and just bust this did you weigh the cost or can you?
2: No I mean at first when this was taking off I don't think I really realized what all we were getting into but um, you know really early on actually though you know came like a month in I talked to a security expert and they kind of warned me about okay. a lot of this. And it was at that time, you know, my, my mom was like in tears, like, stop, like, what are you doing? And, you know, some colleagues were like, yeah, I had somebody call me who's a veteran of this fight. Actually, I learned mm. about Mind geek from her. I, and wow. she said, do you have a safe room if you don't get one? And I was like, oh, wow,
0: okay. <laughs> so, and, and so I think there's things that, like, we're not talking about paranoia we're talking about like real life targeting and this is the cost of doing the level of justice work that you're doing you're not being paranoid and she wasn't being paranoid saying get a safe room she's like no actually this is yeah this is I mean necessary. it's
2: it's the people that are profiting from criminal content and engaging in criminal behavior are not safest people in the world to be, you know, touching their money. And so, yeah. yeah, it is. And, but thankfully, you know, I'm not, I don't operate out of a place of fear at all. Mm-hmm. I said, look, we're going to do this. We're just going to do it. And, um, and, you know, thankfully I haven't had any real physical You know, issues. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of attacks online and things like that, Mm -hmm. but but nothing actually Mm -hmm. in person or physical. And I have great, you know, security team and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I. But yeah, I mean, look, there's a cost to be paid, and Mm -hmm. I just compare. You know, something that's really like helped me is say, for anything that could happen to me, it's nothing compared to what's happened to these victims that have had their lives completely you know destroyed and mm-hmm. torn apart by having mm-hmm. the worst worst moments of their life um uploaded to 130 million people with a download button so and they could be redistributing that until after they're gone and the the terror that they face and the torture is nothing it, it like for me what I'm doing is nothing compared to that
0: mm-hmm. so
2: it keeps everything in perspective to
1: mm-hmm. just do, you- do that mm. Have you had an opportunity to meet any folks that you've helped, um, or that you've uncovered on Pornhub?
2: Yeah, I have been in contact with many victims and survivors, um, and you know a lot of them. um, Yeah, I've kind of stayed in touch with some some of them, and it's really that really is meaningful because. at the end of the day, that is what makes, you know, all the attacks and stuff feel worthwhile, that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's for these actual real people who've had this Mm -hmm. real experience. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like, I remember one victim survivor had reached out after the big purge in December. A couple of them, actually, a number of them had had the same message, and they go, oh, my God, you don't know the relief I feel right now that, you know, finally, these mm-hmm. exploitation videos are gone, and they've been fighting for that for a long time. So um, so that so that's meaningful. And then seeing, you know, lawsuits being filed, there's been seven major lawsuits in the last year against mindgeek, six lawsuits that were on behalf of victims who were trafficked and who were um, you know, either adult or children exploited on the site for profit. And four of those are class action lawsuits that have been filed. And so I love the idea that victims are actually gonna get justice in a yeah. sense. Like you'll they'll never be able, you can never pay enough money to right. undo the damage. But at least I feel like there's gonna be a sense of uh, a measure of justice, at least, in holding this company financially accountable. And my desire and my goal is that I want to see them held criminally responsible. I don't, you know, I often say, look, we didn't let Harvey Weinstein get caught raping and trafficking women and then just say, sorry, and say, I'll change the way Mm -hmm. I operate and then go on his merry way. Like that's Mm -hmm. not justice. That's Mm -hmm. not how the law works. These Mm -hmm. people, it doesn't matter if they hide behind a huge corporation, they need to be held responsible for what happened. And then they need to be a lesson for an example to everybody else who comes after. Don't do this. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, What you're doing now with the Justice Defense Fund, I want you just to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing right now and how we can be involved in it. What do you need from every listener who's listening to this?
2: Yeah, well, so I started the Justice Defense Fund in response to everything that was happening with Trafficking Hub and the Fight Against PornHub, and realizing there's a real need to be able to empower victims to hold their corporate abusers and individual abusers accountable in a civil um, litigation sense. So uh, I started the Justice Defense Fund to help empower survivors to pursue civil litigation against their abusers, to be able to fund that, and also uh, to really focus on legislative solutions and corporate policy solutions. So one thing that happened was MasterCard, through all of this, reassessed their position on doing business with user-generated porn sites that don't verify agent consent, and they enacted a global policy to not allow their card to be used on any porn sites unless they moderate before upload and verify the age and unambiguous consent of every single person in every single video. And when that takes effect in October 15, it's gonna be instant, it's gonna be global, it's gonna apply to all of these companies. And so we wanna see policy change, corporate policy change like that. Mm -hmm. We wanna see PayPal, Google. You know, uh, yes. Discover, Visa, all of them implement the same thing. And then we want to see corporate, po- like sorry, governmental policy change yes. too. And so that's where listeners, look, your representatives work for you. Don't be intimidated to approach your representatives. Educate them on these issues and say, look, we need to introduce and we need to pass legislation That requires the age and consent verification of every person and and every video on a porn site.
0: Yes. Um,
2: First of all, like the basics. And so we want to see that kind of legislation introduced, so we're pushing for that. And then you can sign the petition. Go to traffickinghubpetition.com if you haven't. Add your name to the 2.2 million...
0: Mm -hmm. who signed so
2: far, spread awareness. I always say awareness is the doorway to action. Nobody Mm -hmm. can do something about a problem they don't know exists. And so you don't discount the role of awareness raising. It seems like a lot of people think, oh, I just, you know, can share this or, you know, whatever. It doesn't feel meaningful, but it's so meaningful to share and to raise awareness.
0: That's so good. You know, and we can say what we want about tech in the digital age, but this is the time that we're living with that we're living in. And so while it can be used, you know, for harm, it can also be really used for good and to do justice. And so I think that's one of the things that I'm really inspired by um in this is that through, um, integrable journalism through really good, um, social media campaigns that there can be a movement that can do good on behalf of victims who've been harmed.
2: Yeah. Yes. And one thing I do want to just mention before we go is that for everyday listeners, for parents who are listening to this, um, you know, their children are being victimized in front of the screen and behind it. Children Mm -hmm. are having free access to this Mm -hmm. site that I've been describing to you. In two clicks, an eight-year-old child, a 10-year-old child could be on Pornhub or on Xvideos or any of these other tube sites and be watching the real criminal exploitation, the rape and trafficking of another child or an adult Mm -hmm. as their sex education. And there is a serious harm issue we need to address with children who are accessing this content too. Mm. And so, I just want to put that on your radar that we really need to be protecting children on both sides of the screen because it is a form of sexual abuse to have a child witness those things.
0: Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, Layla, I, first of all, thank you for correcting how I said your name because I've been saying it wrong (laughs) for months. Um, And I am so grateful for the work that you're doing and for the time that you've taken today to just be on our podcast and educate listeners and act on behalf of justice for the sake of so many victims. Um, we are better today because of the work that you're doing. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for, you know, I know that you've said that you've been participating and promoting it and really it's been so inspirational to me and energizing to me to see everybody coming together from you know all these different organizations and individuals is not about one person or one organization really taking on mega predators like this is a group effort so (laughs) thanks for your part in that too
0: you're welcome and i hope you take care of yourself and you find so much joy somehow some beauty some way to lighten your load because you are doing yes There is really beauty all good around work. us. I have children, little children that oh, oh good. just
2: yeah, they they put everything into perspective and yeah. give me so much joy. So That's thank good. you and we'll be in touch. Okay. okay. Thanks Taylor.
0: Uh-huh. Bye.
1: Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey.
0: Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.